Hey world, this is Ross here with my podcast. This is episode six. This is a bonus episode. Like I said, I'm doing the podcast as a solo podcast. I'll do it every Tuesday and um, every now and again sprinkle in some uh, podcasts with guests and friends of mine who are doing cool stuff and uh, just I wanted to talk to them on the podcast. So this first guest is a good friend of mine. He's one of my first friends I met here in Nashville. Um, His name's Trevor Larkin. He is a man that wears many hats, literally and figuratively. He plays with Alan Stone. He plays guitar in Alan Stone's band. He has his own podcast. It's a new podcast called Trevor Talks and Listens, but he also hosted another podcast, which has 33 episodes called The Not Famous Podcast. Um, He does a daily newsletter. He is a guitarist, like I said, great friend of mine. Um, We travel together. We play together. We hang together. Um, And yeah, he's one of my favorite people. And I figured it would be cool to have him on the podcast and talk. So if you want to find any of the information about Trevor Larkin, you can visit trevorlarkin.com or just Google his name. He's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that bullshit. Um, So yeah, this is Trevor Larkin on Hey World, Episode 6. Did you see there's a, a, a picture online of these dudes golfing? Yeah. No, I saw that. That's like psychos. A, that's the volcano course. Like, I've played that course. Really? It's I mean, it's a beautiful course, but this is crazy. Oh, it's a giant plume of ash and debris 30,000 feet in the air, putting Big Island around some further notice. My parents' place is not too far from where this is happening. They're out of harm's way with the lava and stuff, but... Man, the fallout from this ash and the VOG and stuff is gonna be crazy. That's wild. Wow. Okay, sorry, I'll put my I'm gonna put my phone down. No, that's nuts. <laughs> a friend of mine tweeted that today. I'm like, fuck man. These guys are just like, you know, doing hundred yard fucking chip shots when like this volcano is just exploding in the background. No, no, it's the crazy it's the most surreal thing. And Tina was just chowing down chowing down on her nether regions just then <laughs> tina <laughs> i have this theory with tina that so her right eye had the surgery and she only chews what is it her left paw her left front paw mm-hmm. so she keeps the claws on her right paw long where her bad eye was so i got like super high and came home and i'm like emma i figured it out i know why tina only chews one claw so she could protect her blind eye. And she's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, and now, but there's something to it. Like, Tina is now just hammering down on that back paw. <laughs> this is just, this is the greatest. No manners. Like, this is the greatest addition to any podcast. There should just be an animal being strange in every <laughs> was, episode of a podcast. I was sitting there today, like, making sure it was it felt okay where you're sitting and tina came right next to me and like put her head on my shoulder and i'm like this is what she's gonna do the whole time no it's perfect it immediately puts people at ease although well i mean what tina's doing literally right now 
is probably not going to put people at ease. Some people. But, but I tell you that, like, that's something for for the for the Trevor Larkin talks and listens show that we need to work on. Those the the chairs that Trey has are just awful. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there was like very. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you you were on the show. Your episode will come out next week. Right. Um. It's uh. Yeah. Not not particularly comfortable. And so I would like to um. Having having this couch, this is very comfortable. Yeah, that's. We had to get a couple foam toppers when we turned it into a futon. Because if you lie down across it, it is like a steel bar. I think the only person who slept on it is Paul. Oh, and, and I think he's fine with it. He's low maintenance, but yeah, you know, same point. Someone's coming to visit. You want to give them a a good place to sleep, or or not. Or fuck them. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> well, we get the what, couch you, downstairs. You couldn't have Airbnb. You couldn't have got a hotel. You got to stay with me and disrupt my life, you son of a bitch. You sleep on this bullshit futon. See, his futon kind of sucks, too. But he got, a like, a memory foam, like, topper. Yeah. And it is, it's amazing. I love sleeping on that futon now. But it's just like, you know, if you didn't get that top, it would just be like one of the, uh, just a futon that would be in a dorm room. Or something. Just like this one. Yeah. Like, you don't want to spend money on a futon. No, I don't think I've ever spent money on a futon. The only times I've ever had futons in my life, I've just gotten them from other people. Or I literally got a futon off the street one time when I was living in Boston. Ugh. It was, no, it was ill-advised. I wouldn't suggest anyone do anything like that. But I but I did. And I slept on it for one year. Damn. Yeah. You know, I've seen I've been seeing a lot more couches on the side of the highways. I think they just fall off trucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's Tennessee. See some weird shit on the side of the highways. I I dodged a falling chair driving over here today. Really? Yeah, just some like poorly packed truck was just hurtling down 440. And you know, 440's getting better now, but there's still they they've paved over a lot of like the horrible potholes, but there still are some parts that are just like like landmines and tina is just going T. bananas hey this is fantastic <laughs> no like what are those guys doing in, <laughs> in the podcast? it just sounds like yeah she's just, just grooming herself she's you know i actually heard a rumor about 440 and i don't know if this is true i didn't look it up <clears throat> at all and i'm not gonna but like you know the shooting at waffle house yeah i heard that one of the victim's families when he was talking to the mayor, the mayor's like, I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? T. <laughs> the mayor's like, what can I do for you? And the family said, you can pay 440. And that's when they started. Really? And I don't, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's kind yeah. of a ballsy move on the family side. Like, what can you do? Well, you can fucking fix your roads. Yeah, you can actually like do your job. Right. You can take care of the infrastructure of the city. I mean, if the highway is terrible. No wonder why there's like a ton of accidents. No, I mean the highways. The highway's terrible, and and it would be a, sh- a shame if it took like a tragedy of that magnitude to actually right. get people to do the thing that they're employed to do. But um, but I suppose the end result is that it is marginally better paved now. Right. But. I still saw the truck in front of me hit a pothole and this like lounge chair go flying and I actually had to like swerve out of the way of it. Ugh. It was crazy. Yeah. That's scary, man. Cause like your adrenaline just jumps when you're in the car, even mm-hmm. when you have to hit the brakes really quickly, like 
you get this surge of something. And I'm a tremendous coward. So for me, <laughs> when I get feelings like that, I, I, I'm not equipped for it. You just want to you know? vomit. I just want to go back and watch, <laughs> watch Futurama episodes and eat Cheetos and pretend like the world around me is but a dream. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's, a, it's a jungle out there. It is, it is a jungle out there. This is true. But we are both robust, virile dudes. We're here to win it. And now I'm on. I'm I'm on your show. Yeah, I'm, I'm officially on your show. We've been yeah, recording this, is, this entire thing. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. I I never have guests. Well, I don't. I I have five podcasts, so I talk about it like I'm an expert. But this is Trevor Larkin on the podcast. Trevor is a really good friend of mine. One of my first friends here in Nashville. We met at a Sister Sparrow show. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember meeting you that night, and Arlie. Um, we were, there was the three of us talking and Arlie, I remember she said, uh, this is Trevor, this is Ross. You guys both like beer. You should be friends. And that was it. And she was right. She was exactly right. And then I think you went on the road for a bit with Alan Mm -hmm. and then you got back and we just hung and wrote some songs and you played on my last record and we just became friends and travel buddies and. Yeah, I remember. I remember you came by my house with Seven Hundred Nights, which is a great song. Right, off right. Of, off of the your your record, is it? I mean, I I say it's your first. Is it is it your first record as Ross Livermore? Kind of, yeah, it's like it was my first record in Nashville. So okay, great, um, great. Yeah. Everything else was like Ross Livermore band, which is pretty much it's always been me, Paul, and Phil. Mm-hmm. We just adjusted the the branding i guess of this right. to just be me as the artist and they're like but like the roles of everybody in the group never really changed yeah well and what's great about that too is that you're able to go out and do like what we've been doing lately kind of going out and doing these solo acoustic sets together you can go out and do shows like that and it's not confusing branding wise for right. for people you know uh and i think that's really important but yeah you, you came by my house and you, you sort of asked for my input or like maybe you can help me finish writing this song and I realized immediately that you did not need my help with any of that <laughs> so we just kind of sat around and probably drank beer and you played the song for me it was a great song and it was fantastic because it it kind of removed this it, like okay like we, we can just be be pals there, there doesn't have to be any. There's, there's no exchange going on here. Right. Like we can just sort of hang out, you know. Right. And like, sure, we can do music stuff, but we can also go bowling. Right. And you know, it, it, that I'm not explaining it particularly well, but here in Nashville, there can be this, this weird sort of like social transaction, where let's get together and write is just kind of thrown around, and sometimes that can be really cool. But more often than not, it, it isn't. Right, yeah. More often, in my experience, it it can be sort of like a tedious thing and not always like the most welcome thing. It's I much prefer just like drinking a coffee with someone and chatting. And if there's like a creative connection, you'll kind of find that out right. from there. So so it was great that, that, we're, that we just are friends. And there wasn't that extra pressure of like, okay, we're hanging out, so we got to like kind of conjure something up if that makes sense yeah it's weird here it's almost like the music's it it happens in the reverse like the reverse order like you meet someone at a bar at a a round or whatever and they're like yeah let's write so you immediately go into a room and write songs to them before you know them at all Mm -hmm. where 
is back home, you kind of become friends with someone and you're like, oh, you play drums? Cool. Let's jam. But it's after like six months of doing whatever, like being friends. Yeah. And um, sometimes it works out. It's worked out like I wrote Bottle of Red with Lindsay. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't really... We got coffee once, but sometimes yeah. it works out. But sometimes it's just like, man, then it's awkward because you don't really want to write with them anymore. And it just... You right. see them out. And you're like, oh, we should finish this song. It's kind of like when you see an old high school friend. You're like, we should hang out sometime. And you never do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just kind of like the pleasantries. Yeah. I I think that... I mean, if if you're a good songwriter, you're you're a good songwriter. And if you enjoy the craft of songwriting, then that can translate over into a lot of different um, areas, I think. So I'm still, this coffee's hitting my system, so I'm going to become more eloquent as we move along here. Oh, but But I also, I think like my, my background has always been just like making noise with friends in a garage, you know, and then just kind of winging it from there. And even with the Alan Stone project, like that was very much, like our early successes were based entirely I, I spoke about this at length at the music biz panel earlier this week you know all of our early successes were essentially based on our just getting in a van and just figuring it out you know hashing it out and and you know when i when i write music now it's typically you know for for myself and it's important for me to just to just write the songs top to bottom on my own it's i haven't fully embraced this idea of just kind of letting people letting Joe Schmo Dildo Johnson in on that process. Right, right. Which is weird. Like I'm still I'm thinking I'm thinking about it now though, kinda of processing in real time. It's not that I have anything against writing songs with people, obviously. And it's and I do love the craft of songwriting. And I wouldn't say that I'm especially precious with any particular idea. But but but, but for some reason the co writing culture here in Nashville, I haven't hit my stride with it. You've had a lot more success with it than I than I have, I feel. Yeah, it's it's cool. When I moved here, like I had only before I moved here, I had only written songs by myself. Um Oh, uh-oh. it's the Griff. The Griff's here. The Griff's back. Hey um. We're doing a podcast. Come on, get on the podcast. There's there's a microphone set up and everything. I'm talking into it right now. We're taping it right now. You can come hang out for a bit if you wanted. Do I have to? No. You don't have to. I used to come home. I wanted to get nap. <laughs> Turn on some SVU. Actually, yes. I was going to go watch the new episode. It was on last night. Cool. I'm going to go ground myself a self. M's nominated for Teacher of the Year. I heard that. That's fantastic. I know. When, when, when does she find out? At high school graduation next Wednesday night. Really? Em, you think you're going to win? I don't know. I think you're going to win. She got like a lot of vote. It's all it's student based the voting. Okay. So. So she she's a shoe in then. She's she's good to go. Yeah. You know, I think they like her cuz she's tough. Um, yeah. I'm just I don't I don't know. I'm not in your class, Em. She's not even listening. Whatever. No, anyway. Well, no, just thinking about that. So I the, my one of my high school English teachers, Marsha Tomlin, Mrs. Tomlin. Um, very, very tough, you know, had like very realistic, but also like very sort of exacting standards for her students. Cause it was like an, an advanced, you know, she taught advanced English courses and she had this reputation for kind of being, 
being like a, a hard ass, but her classes were just fantastic and she had the respect of everybody. And like, and I keep in touch with her to this day. Hmm. I, I'll send her like articles and essays and stuff that I'm about to have published and she'll like edit them and like proofread and really? stuff like that and give me comments. I still can't call, she's call me Marsha. It's like, there's no way I'll right. ever be able to call you Marsha. I don't think I could do that with any teacher. No, no, no. It'll be Mrs. Tomlin until, until the day. Yeah. Until the day. I expire, you know. Right, that's cool though. There, my my high school music teacher, Mr. Simmons, <clears throat> he actually left my senior year, and um, we had another chorus teacher, Mr. Chabarro. And man, I, you know, you ever do stuff when you're a kid and you're just like, man, I really regret the way that I handled that situation. Oh, you mean my entire childhood? <laughs> yeah, no, I, that resonates. I just remember like I was vice president of the chorus, mm-hmm. my senior year. And I was just like a pain in the ass and wasn't like, I didn't take control of the situation and be like, hey, it's fine. We have a new teacher. Like, let's be productive. I just rebelled against it because I really love the old teacher. And I'm just yeah. like, man, I don't have like a ton of, I don't, I don't have a ton of regrets, but I look back and I'm like, man, I was re- a real dick to that guy. Oh yeah. No, I have, I have a lot of stories like that for sure. And I think, you know, in retrospect, it could be said for sure that there were a lot of missed opportunities when we were younger. It's like, oh man, if only I had the perspective I have now. Right. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also great that we had those kind of structured environments and safe havens where we could just be young, stupid dickheads. Right. And kind of learn how to be human beings. You know, a big thing for me is looking back at my time at Berkeley College of Music because I was, I was there for a couple of years. I graduated in two years. Um, which I'm grateful. Wait, you did two years there and yeah. graduated? Yeah. Yeah. I was 20 when I graduated. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Well, the took reason- took me five years to graduate hey. college. <laughs> the Ross fucking Van Wilder. I know, right? There. Yeah. No, but but the, the reason why I did it in two years is because I, I was originally going to drop out. And my, my dad very thankfully stepped in and he's just like, look, I know you don't have this perspective now, but this degree and like this piece of paper is going to be really, really- important and you will be able to say that you followed through on a thing that you said you were going to do and that's that's a reputation that you should very gladly kind of like hang your hat on you know? right so you know take a summer semester like test out of a bunch of stuff and just get out of there as soon as possible for sure but like but graduate and so that's what i did and it was absolutely spot on advice and and my degree as uncool as it is to admit, has helped me so much over the years. Um, especially straight out of Berkeley when I started to get like teaching gigs and like started to freelance with the Seattle Symphony and the ballet and the opera and stuff. That degree kind of ushered me into that community, uh, which was which was huge, you know. Yeah, I'm always curious with that when when it comes to like music degrees because yeah. I, I went to a state school and was a like quote unquote music major, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but. It wasn't a prestigious music school, and I'm just curious about like how the degree in Berkeley or from a cons- I mean from a conservatory it's yeah. probably different because it's really classically based. Mm-hmm. I was I'm just like I was always curious about that when like how yeah like you were saying like it did help you get these gigs and kind of get the foot in the mm-hmm. door yeah. for the symphonies and stuff. Yeah, it it, it did. 
I think that any sort of college situation, and this is this is like the most kind of general answer, but I think it's true that any sort of college situation, you get out of it what you put into it, and I. I sort of made the decision to treat Berkeley College of Music as like a liberal arts college rather than a technical school or like a specialization school. Right, right. So my degree was in professional music, whatever the hell that means. And I basically kind of took like 101 courses and a bunch of different stuff. You know, I took some stuff in music theory, MP&E, music production and engineering, film store, scoring, ethnomusicology, obviously like, you know, guitar performance, music history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... I mean, looking back on that chapter now, it it really actually ushered in this this sort of comfortable place where I found myself now, where where I'm very confidently kind of a jack of all trades kind of dude. I realize now that that's some some people are specialists, and their strength is this one thing, right. and they're undeniable, and they absolutely crush it. My my strength is to I think is probably just my my general kind of curiosity and and enjoying just a lot of different fields and being proficient in those and and that's and that can be a strength too and i think berkeley helped me help me realize that um how i brought it up initially like in the context of like oh man when we're kids we're morons like that was definitely i definitely did not take advantage of a lot of what berkeley college of music had to offer at all but it was, you know, I, I was not a high-profile person on campus. I was definitely, I was the quiet kid, kid, kid in the back of the room with, you know, the crumpled-up page of emo poetry. Right. I was that douche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what I, but the beautiful thing about it, which I feel very fortunate for, was it was, it was a safe place where I could start to figure out how to be a person. And at the end of the day, I was surrounded by music twenty-four-seven. I was surrounded by talented people twenty-four-seven and, and incredible. Um, you know, clinics and concerts and the media center and all this kind of stuff. So even if I feel like I I didn't like crush the game, I didn't LeBron James my way through Berkeley College of Music, I still like even just via, os- via osmosis just absorbed a lot from that place. And I still find and I find that it comes out still to this day in these really weird and interesting and unexpected um, d- yeah, different right. avenues. You know? I feel like it probably helped you too in a way i'm speaking for you here but like coming from washington state and moving to the east coast just like yeah. that culture shock of like the coasts of the states um it was just it was, going yeah. away somewhere that isn't home like that's see i feel like without even trying that's gonna help you evolve it was important for me to get as far away from my hometown as possible and I was uh, there's nothing against my hometown of Walla Walla Washington. I really I really love the place. I love growing up there. I think I think a lot of it had to do with you know so I have an international family. We're spread out all over the world, so I was able very very fortunate to be able to travel a lot as a kid. And through that I, it, I that's just always been in my blood, I guess. I've always been a traveler. I've always been kind of this um this sort of nomadic Right, yeah. Kind of dude, and that feels very comfortable for me. Like I, you know, to quote Henry Rollins, like I feel like I burn cleaner on the road. I think more clearly. I'm more creative, and so it just made total sense to me that I would go as far away from my comfort zone as possible. Right. 
and go to the other side of, of the country, you know. And it was great. You know, Boston is a great city, and it's a great city to be a college kid. And again, you know, even even though I was like very much kind of up in my own head when I was a student, you know, I lived three blocks from the old Heinz, Heinz Convention Center stop. Right, and right. I did. Like, I would get on the T, and I would go up to Harvard Square, or I would go... Kenmore. Kenmore, you know. I go to Copley, and I, or just, you know, I, I was... That's the one of the great things about Berkeley is like the 150 Mass Ave. It's right on that that intersection of Mass Ave and Boylston, and so even to just live the most rudimentary life, you're still in the city and you're still interacting with it, and that was important for me. Just that constant sort of hustle and, yeah, and right. bustle and energy that being in a city all the time really offered. Isn't that like? I think about this when it comes to like what we were talking about earlier, being a, like a, a a little prick to people when you're a kid, and mm-hmm. like <clears throat> it almost seems so far away that it's just like this distant, distant memory. But you're like, man, I did make some good decisions, though. It's like, how did this person yeah. make the decision to do the study abroad semester in in Sicily or like you? Right. It's like, man, I felt like I was just a little shithead, but like I did put the work in to go to Berkeley and graduate in two years. Right. You know, I had a friend who, before I started this podcast was like, man, you're Ross 10 years from now is going to thank 34 year old Ross for starting this podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I look at myself and I'm like, man, 34 year old Ross is thanking 22 year old Ross for doing that semester abroad. Cause it like gave me the confidence to make the move here and like oh, go definitely. into uncharted territory well and and that's the big thing right is is to recognize that i mean our, our younger selves lay the foundation for all of this and i mean i think about that all the time you know especially now as you know the alan stone thing has grown and we've been able to travel so much and play so many big shows i i know exactly what it's like to be you know 19 20 21 years old overthinking everything overthinking myself into oblivion right and just kind of seeing the world pass me by a little bit i know exactly what that feels like i know exactly what that looks like and i know thankfully having gone through it i also kind of know how to avoid it and i understand how important it is to just be present and be grateful this is a total cliche but it's true you know every time that the allen project plays a show I just have the most fun. I talk to every person. I talk to every fan. I, I just, I don't overthink the thing. I just am there and I'm grateful for my little slice of the pie in that world. And you know, you're talking about like podcasts and stuff, a perfect example where it's just like, man, like I'm just, I know what it's like to sit around and overthink and never actualize any idea that I have. For years, I did this. Right. And so now... And you just find yourself getting pissed. Yeah. You're like frustrated that you're not further along, and then you don't do anything to get yourself further along. And that's the thing. And it's just this this mouse wheel. You have that cold moment of realization where you're just like, the reason why I'm not further along is not because the universe is conspiring against me. It's not because I was fucked over by so-and-so. It's because I haven't done the thing that right. I wanted to do. It's because I haven't put that work in. So it's really all on me. And when you're already like a fragile, delicate flower, as I was, like that crystal clear moment 
is pretty like terrifying. Right, right. Because you're just like, oh, well, yeah, all this, all this, all the the gremlins in my head are exactly right. I am a piece of shit. So why bother doing anything? Yeah. And then and then I get <clears throat> I got lost down that like really awful, terrible rabbit hole for a long time. You know? Yeah, man. I still like struggle with that now. You know, you're like, like today I went to a yoga class before you came over. Yeah. And I'm driving there. I'm like, man, I should be home writing emails and like booking some shows and trying to do everything I can for it. We have a tour coming up in August that a couple shows are up in the air and there's just other, there's a million things to do, but I'm like, yeah. but me being healthy, like I've ran a good amount in the last couple of days. So I'm like, my legs are feel pretty tight. So I'm like, I really should stretch. Which is really inspiring by the way, all the running you've been doing. Thank you. It's I've, I, I give all the credit to Caleb oh, Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Just makes us all look like lazy Yeah, well, fucks. like, playing with him, you see how he operates. Caleb Hooper is a mutual friend of ours who plays bass. He played bass on my last record. He played on the new one. He also plays with an artist named Frank Foster. Um, and he's, yeah, he's a mutual friend. And he lost 200 pounds since I've met him. He was, like, 360, 370-ish. Mm-hmm. He lost 200 pounds and he just like runs. I went running and I did a trail run with him eight miles like two weeks ago and I was dying and he's just like, you okay? All right, cool. See you later. And just like jets by me. Um, so yeah, you see a guy like that and it's like, we've talked about this before, like the Jordan Peterson approach, like, you know, everyone bitches about all this stuff going on in the world, but like, just clean your room, mm-hmm. you know? Take care of the stuff that you can take care of in your immediate future, in your immediate life. I don't know. And that will somehow translate and help someone else and inspire someone else to do it. And you see it in this like small little circle, like Caleb runs a ton. It's inspiring me. We play with him. I run now. Mm -hmm. My roommate, Dan got a gym membership. Emma's starting to run a little bit. And it's just kind of like one person does something and then this like trickle down effect happens and it inspires people and that's exactly like that's how any meaningful change really happens yeah is these little incremental things you know and it's it's you can see it in real time like affecting other people's lives and i don't know so anyway i I went to yoga today (laughs) and uh i the whole time i was driving there i'm just like man i should be doing all this other stuff but like my health is important and i sing better because i'm healthy and I'm recording vocals for the new record, so that's important too. So I kind of had to have this like inner monologue with myself, like, this is just as important. You're fine. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You've been productive this week. Like Trevor's coming over to do the podcast next week or tomorrow you're writing. It's just like you can't save the world in one day. Yeah. But you can chip away at the granite, you know? Oh, certainly, certainly. And that's... For me, I've been trying to like be much better about structure or at least like realistic structure and routine. Like, you know, maybe an example of that for me, you know, I I get up way earlier now than I used to. Like I get up between like six and seven now so that I can have four to five hours. Now, I realize also I should say that I'm very lucky that I get to set my own schedule. Right. Not a lot of people are in that position, but, but I am. So I tried to like not take that for granted, not squander that opportunity. So, I mean, I get up around then so that I am guaranteed to have four or five hours where I can write my daily newsletter. I can write music. 
I can exercise. I can, you know, stretch my body. I can exercise. I can do all of these things for me, these nourishing things for me, that by the time the late morning comes around, that's when I kick into administrative mode. Right. And so, and it's way more palatable, that administrative mode, because I know that I've actually nourished myself and taken care of myself first before I've checked any device, you know, before I've let the real world kind of enter my orbit. I've done all these things that, that, that you're talking about, like kind yeah. of putting health and yourself first. And yeah, and it's just nice to have that structure. Like for me, I remind myself, it's like, okay, there's enough time in the day to do all the stuff that I need to do. There's a reason why I've set aside this hour for email correspondence. It's so that I don't have to worry about it when I wake up first thing, or I don't have to right. worry about it, you know, as I'm trying to wind down and like read of an evening. That's been another game changer for me is is listening to records and reading in the evening. Right. You know, I've talked about it earlier on the podcast. I'm like, I never really read. Yeah. And John from Indo gave me that on writing book and it like changed my perspective completely. Yeah. Cause I'm all out of ideas now. Like I, all the songs that I've written, we've recorded the good ones and scrapped everything else. So it's like, all right. You know, when you get that moment, you're it's like, all right, I, paper. Yeah. I hope I can, I hope I can write songs still. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know, I'm trying to, like, I got this keyboard and just reading and trying to expose myself to as many situations as you can, because you're like collecting information that will inspire the writing for the next round of songs, you know what yeah. I mean? And reading has been, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm doing the best I can with it. I'm on the Harry Potter book, Harry Potter one, but, um, those are, they're great books. I'm almost done with it. And it's like, it's really good. Yeah. It's it's fun and it's like interesting. Mhm. Um but yeah, just trying to stay inspired and and I don't know, by stay inspired by new things, I guess. Well, and that's why it's so great to be inspired by all kinds of different media, you know, all kinds of different outlets. Cuz I mean, say you are stuck in a rut musically. You know, say you are out of songs. You don't necessarily have to just like stare at the blank piece of paper and just like go, God damn it, son of a bitch. You know, right. you can you can read, you can you can be involved with cinema. You know, you, th there are so many other, or, you know, a lot of visual art. Like I'm especially interested. I mean, r reading for me is something that I've always done ever since I was a kid, and because I always love writing as well. You know, I have that daily email newsletter, and I've right. done like a lot of articles and essays and short stories and stuff, and. So th those two things are pretty logical extensions for me, pretty natural extensions for me is maybe a better way of saying it. But like lately, like when I'm out with the Allen Project now, I try and go to as many like art museums and like modern art exhibitions and stuff as possible. Because like the visual art thing, that part of my brain never really got activated. Like I couldn't even draw you a stick figure. I'm terrible. You know? Yeah. I mean, and I acknowledge that I put literally no effort into getting better and that's fine. But in terms of, I know I have like zero natural aptitude for anything visual art oriented. And because of that, it's just really captivating, like really fascinating to me. And I find it really inspiring because it's something that I'm so far off from being even passively right, competent right. at. I find that really interesting. I think for the same reason, I, I'm like super nerdy about chess. Not because I'm a good chess player. I'm not a good chess player. I know the pieces move, um, but that's in about Harry the Potter. They speak. They do. Oh <laughs> Jesus Christ! The chess play. The, the chess pieces spoke to me. 
Oh, they would be like Tourette's they battle Marines. You? They'd be just like, you dumb fuck. <laughs> really? <laughs> you couldn't have just like rooked to the fucking thing? You, yeah. You to, yeah. No, I, you know. But the culture behind chess I find fascinating. And the type of mind required to really excel at chess is so different than me. I, I am <laughs> what I guess in music management circles would be called a big picture guy, which is to say I'm lazy. I have no real interest in like <laughs> learning how to specifically accomplish anything. I wouldn't say that I'm particularly well organized. I wouldn't. I'm not. I'm not I don't know, man. You. I'm not. You are pretty or, organized. I'm. I'm not detail oriented. At least not at the level where like a Magnus Carlsen, say, who's like the number one ranked chess player in the world. Like the way that your mind, or like a Gary Kasparov, you know, like the way that your mind. The only one I know is Bobby Fischer. Oh, well, just because the movie. And, and, and of course, he's the paranoid schizophrenic anti-Semite. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Although, I mean, a, a hell of a chess player, though. Hell, hell of a hell of a chess player. <laughs> a bunch of fascinating documentaries on like YouTube and stuff too. If you're if you're ever curious to go yeah. down the rabbit hole, so I'm telling you, if you start going down the chess rabbit hole, there's something about it. And I think also like there are certain things that I think unfairly have been designated litmus tests of intelligence, like knowledge of politics. Um, and chess, you know. Right. And I'm not particularly knowledgeable of politics, and I'm not very good at chess. And I think, but I would like to think that I'm not a complete ignoramus. And so it's kind of nice to just to dive to dive in there and just kind of immerse myself in the culture. I, I like going to like Washington Square Park when we're in New York, for example, and sitting down with the chess hustlers. And you know, they think that I'm sitting down because I like I'm a hot shot. And then you know they they start we start playing and it's immediately obvious that like I'm a barely functional chess player and they just start talking shit to me. Oh man! Oh, it's fantastic. But it's like playing golf with someone who's better than you or any sport. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. play, even though you won't win, you'll play up to their level as opposed to them playing down. To, you know what I mean? Oh no! I mean, which it, yeah. that's that's how you get better at something. Oh, absolutely no, and and I would definitely. It, so the timer yeah is it just like 60 seconds to move is that all it is yeah or however long the the time limit is um in some cases i never really understood the timer yeah it, in in some cases it's however much time you have to make that specific move in other types of play you have h- however much time is allocated to 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 the entire game let's just say it's it's 15 minutes that's just an arbitrary number it could be whatever um, so you can take however long you need to between moves, but when your 15 minutes is up, you're, you're done. Like you've, you forfeited the thing if you haven't won in that amount of time, ah. you know? So that's, so a lot of times when these guys are playing, it's like a 10 or 15 minute game or whatever it is. I, again, I say those numbers arbitrarily. It could be whatever. Interesting. And so when they're clicking their, oh, as I, as I made the motion to click the timer, I just knocked the pop shield down. Um, when they're clicking their timer, it's just, it's just to stop the timer you know, so that they can keep as much time on the clock as possible. Oh. Yeah. I always thought it was just like you have so many seconds to move. Yeah. Like, well, a, like a, like a, I guess in minor league baseball, they have the pitch clock or the shot clock or something. Yeah. Well, there's, and, and there's that style too, you know. Pe- oh. People listening to this who are more knowledgeable about chess than I am, feel free to comment and just be like, this Trevor Larkin guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And my response would be, you're right. I really don't. <laughs> But I've watched the hell out of some Magnus Carlsen documentaries, and it's fascinating. 
I only have one friend who plays chess regularly, Tone Fresco. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a high school buddy of mine. I think he's pretty good. I don't know. He The only reason I know he plays is because he Instagrams his iPhone chess yeah, games. Well, yeah. No, and, and my, which is, which is cool, I think, you know? And like my level of chess aptitude, I am so far below anyone who would even consider themselves decent at chess that I would be inadequate to the task of evaluating anybody. It's the same thing like my palate with wine. If I drink wine and I don't shit my pants immediately, I'm pretty happy. You know, does just want to get drunk, man. Yeah, you know, does it mean that it's a good bottle of wine? I don't know. I mean, maybe. But um, you know, or or a, a, another example would be video games. So like our tour manager Bear is like this savant with Halo. That's just his game and he plays the fuck out of it. And so we'll sit in the front lounge of the bus and he'll be like, "Trevor, let's play some Halo." And of course, I'm just like, yeah, sure, why not, you know? And I'm looking down at the controller being like, okay, so where's the B button again? And meanwhile, I've just been stuck with 75 grenades. You know, I've been blown up a bajillion times. Yeah. He's decapitated me. Like, he's doing this thing, you know, whatever the thing is when you're, like, on a map in Halo, like, going against someone where, like, he can, like, hump your your, your dead corpse. He's doing that <laughs> thing to me. Just, like, fucking with you in the oh, game. Yeah, and I'm just like, Bear, goddammit. You know, you, like, you know, I'm not good at Halo. Just give right. me like, let me shoot something. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, you also know that I'm an artsy fartsy type. Like I'm already just useless on this tour. Like I already just like, I, I play guitar. I have the easiest job in the world. And you already know that I'm guilty about that for having no real world skills. You just have to like, ru- you have to emasculate me in this game now just too. salt in the wound oh, in the just, form of Halo. It's just, it's just abysmal. But bear, but you know, bear, bear is a good time. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I never got the video game bug. Yeah, like we had a Sega Genesis, and I like rare. You know, I played it here and there, but I just never really got that. I remember when I was a kid, we had a Super Nintendo. I feel like it was either a Sega. Or, I mean, those yeah. are the only two, but it's like we had a Super Nintendo. It's like Matchbox Twenty and Third Eye Blind. That's right. <laughs> Which 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 white guy alternative music did you listen to in your <laughs> suburb? Yeah, exactly. But um, and and in my case, I was more of a third eye blind guy. Really? I See, I was more Matchbox Twenty. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I I think I didn't like. What the hell was his the the singer of Third Eye Blind? Stephen. Oh. Stephen something. Um. Yeah, no, it was it was Stephen. Something. I was gonna I say Stephen Hawking, but that is clearly not the right answer. But it's close to that name, Stephen something. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's Stephen. Oh, I didn't like him because he was the rival lead singer in the movie Rockstar. Do you ever see that movie? Oh yeah, sure. He was like Marky Mark's mm-hmm. arch nemesis. Yeah. In the other like Steel Dragon tribute right. band. So right. Fuck that guy. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and honestly. At the time when both of those bands would have really come on my radar, like I was so into like metal and stuff at that point that right. that you know I, I didn't really dislike or like either band. I was just sort of like aware that they were around, and then I would put on Anthrax. Yeah, you know, so, so but but now I can say, pro- probably more of a third eye blind type of situation, you know. Right. Anyway, you had a Super Nintendo. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's that's what it was. <laughs> so we, we had a Super Nintendo, and I think my parents bought it because, like, my, my parents are very sort of Britishy 
type of stiff upper lippy folks. And so, you know, they, they don't really partake in frivolous things. But they were aware that they had to, like, parent their kids, you know? So they're like, okay, so what do American kids like? I don't know, like video games? That's a thing I've heard of in passing one time. So my dad sort of comes back one day, I remember, with the Super Nintendo. And he's, it's sort of, he just sort of, like, presents it awkwardly, like it's some fragile, like, relic. He doesn't know what, what it is. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's like, here, here, Trevor, here's this thing. Here's this machine you, you, you require. And, and so, you know, we, we plug it in, as, as one does, right? That would be frustrating if you didn't plug it in. And it comes with, uh, with like, that Mario game, right, that had, like, the three. It had, like, Mario All-Stars on it. And, and then, like, one and two or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that, right. And then the other game that we had for it, so we had that game, and my parents bought one game along with it. And it, it wasn't, like, something awesome. It wasn't, like, Madden or whatever. It was Wordtress. It was the Tetris, but it was Tetris, but with words. words. (laughs) So those were the two video games I had as a kid. It was that, like, all-in-one Mario game and Wordtress. That was it. So needless to say, I didn't catch the video game bug. (laughs) You know, friends would come around the house, and they'd just be like, what the hell is this shit? Wordtress. Yeah. So, you know, I, I retreated back into the, into, into the comic books, into the graphic novels, and into the reading. And, you know, I was a big sports guy, so that, that, that was more the thing for me yeah. as a kid rather than, uh, than video games and stuff. Stephen Jenkins. Jenkins. Stephen Jenkins. That's, that's what it was. I was going to say Stephen Carpenter, but that's the guitar player in the Deftones. And then Stephen Tyler is the lead singer of Aerosmith. Who, he's on the most recent Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. I got like five minutes in. And I was just like, nope. Hard pet. He is a maniac. Dude. He like, you know, I listen to that podcast pretty regularly. And sometimes you get guests on there who just feel like they need to like flex their like their intellect muscle for some reason. Yeah, right. They, they need to And show they just off. don't really have it. Right. So he's just like talking about his schedule and just talking about like he brought like a crystal ball with him. Of course. And I'm yeah. just like, ah. Steven Tyler hasn't lived on the planet Earth since 1969. Yeah, right? I'm just like, I just want to enjoy Aerosmith's music. I'm not going to listen to this podcast. Yeah, I, I think that's a good... You know, it's funny when people come to like a show like Rogan's and they're just like, okay, I'm, I'm prepared. I brought notes. I brought talking points. What do you do? That's not the point of the thing. Right. Especially when you're Steven Tyler. You're not a genius to begin with, you know? Yeah. And you've also done like narcotics and hallucinogenics, hallucinogenics for three decades. And so, you, I remember he came to speak at Berkeley College of Music when I was a student, and it was, it was, it it was actually fantastic, because he, at no point, made any sense whatsoever. He would start telling a story and then immediately just start telling another story. Then he'd lose interest in that story, and then he'd forget what he was talking about. And, you know, all these eager beaver music students, they had just never really encountered, like, a lot of the clinicians or whatever who had come to Berkeley, you know, Branford Marcellus, who's an asshole, but like kind of a garden variety jazz dick asshole. Yeah. So he was entertaining because he was a son of a bitch, right? And and, and a lot of kind of people like that, like very serious musicians, you know, from a very particular school of thought. So a lot of students at Berkeley College of Music had never really encountered, like, just a maniac before just a lunatic 
And it was absolutely incredible to just see these like music nerds, these, you know, from like wherever who had spent a lot of time indoors under fluorescent lights, you know, just practicing, just practicing, you know, just just hitting those 16th notes at, at 160 on the metronome. And then all of a sudden, this absolute lunatic who's talking about like like having having sex with a rando in an elevator and then vomiting at the same time <laughs> and then reaching down into the vomit to pluck out the pill still inside the woman you know just absolutely yeah, just right. pandemonium you know and i was there just like this is great <laughs> this is right. amazing and i immediately went to the media center and listened to every aerosmith record man you know yeah it was a different time coming was, up in a, in a band it was a different time and i can't say that i'm upset that those times are gone because like you know steven tyler is a barely functional human being a lot of his contemporaries are dead right so like on balance i'm happy to have a mineral water and like do do my push-ups i suppose but it does make me want to like when i am out on tour to just fucking enjoy it right you know to just jump around on stage not be afraid to make mistakes to just sweat a whole lot you know i just bought well i didn't buy it i found just this like shitty shitty robe that i'm just gonna wear after the shows you know yeah i just just be be a rock and roll star just just live live that life you know when we're off the road we're not you know like that's not who we are right but you know when you're just that circling it all the way back to your original sort of point of like man when we're younger what morons we were you know i think my big takeaway from that time it's just being really grateful to just be like, be where you are, you know. And that's what I always tell people who are prospective music students is like, if if you're gonna go to music college, be a student, soak it all in, ask questions, jam, talk to people. Don't worry about the big world outside because that will come soon enough. Right. And when it's your time, you'll go out in it and you'll be a novice again, and that'll be exciting, and you you'll lose you'll use everything you've learned here, in that real world context. And, and now it's just like, you know, for whatever reason, the Allen Project has afforded me the luxury of being able to, like, play these big shows and travel. And I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overanalyze that. I'm just going to show up to the festival. I'm going to show up to the bus. And I'm just going to have fun in a way that is appropriate for, like, this random place that I found myself. Right. And when that chapter ends, I'm going to take advantage of whatever that looks like i know this is like not groundbreaking commentary but it's profound for me because i've never really given myself the green light to do that until very recently you know well it's a hard thing to do i feel like because you're so concerned with like the next thing and how am i gonna pay my bills and how am i gonna just do whatever is on my mind in the future it's like i think it's music aside i think it's just a hard thing for people to do in general just like enjoy the thing that you're doing in the moment and not really like move past that or not really think past that or before that you know yeah there's this premium place and this was something too that at this music biz conference that's happening now that seemed to be a reoccurring theme which i didn't agree with or at least my personal experience didn't hasn't led me there where you know you need to have this clearly delineated path laid out that you've painstakingly you know, gone through sort of brick by brick 
you know, paving stone by paving stone or whatever. The analogy's gotten away from me. The point yeah. is, is that you're supposed to have this clear vision and know all the questions that you need to ask and have all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, like I don't, why, why can't someone in that type of environment just say that you only really know and understand what you're experiencing in the moment, but that's fine because that's going to set you up for the next moment. And if you are living that moment in this really virtuous and positive way, the people who are brought into your orbit are fantastic human beings, you know? I mean, oh, I think, I mean, the fact that we're sitting here in your studio right now, I think is evidence of that. Right. You know? Totally, man. Like, if I told my, you know, 22-year-old self that I would, in 10 years, be living in Nashville and still putting out records and have a podcast yeah like what oh you know what i mean like what's What's the thing uh, who you just never know and like like you said you just put out good work and it'll attract real people who will affect you in a positive way it's like i don't know you it's like you you become surrounded by people who are like-minded and if you're a dick you'll be surrounded by dickheads Mm -hmm. if you're a good person who legitimately cares about other people not just like oh you you can be a bass player in my band yeah and you can benefit i can benefit from that it's mm-hmm. like if you legitimately care about that person and and show them that and tell them that you'll attract other people and like that's where i don't know i feel like that's where a fan base comes from that's i a- see it at zany's all yeah. the time it's like you you could the, the, the fan base of a comedian is a direct reflection of their personality. So a guy like Burt Kreischer will come in and his audience is full of just cool down people. Mm-hmm. But then you get other comedians who are just kind of dicks and their audiences are dicks. You know what I mean? And like that energy, I feel like extends past just your immediate circle as you start to build a fan base, you know? And Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's important, you know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, they're... Yeah, I, I I used to like really play really play upon like sarcasm and cynicism in my whole thing because that's just where I was at at that time. And yeah, lo and behold, who came out to the shows? These real sons of bitches. Right. And then it becomes like this vicious cycle because you're just like, man, like I don't like these people, but they're here, and what's what's going on? And then you start to doubt yourself more. It's this weird. It's this weird thing, you know? And I think that's why it's so important for me now to just, like with a lot of the projects that I'm doing outside of the Allen Project, like whether it be with the one-take videos or the the new podcast or even, you know, daily newsletter, you know, writing something every day. Right. Which I have done since January 2nd, every single Dude, day. Dude, it's impressive, man. Well, you know, and some posts are, are, are good. Others are not so good. But it's that, the, the cumulative effect, that body of work, and just the confidence that you get from doing that. And you do sort of like cultivate a voice and you draw the right people in from that. It's the same thing with like the one take videos. It's inspiring to know that I always have to keep writing. And that the decision to present myself in that way, in sort of a, a fun, loose, spontaneous, not overly self-aware or self-aware or self-serious thing means that I think you know, people who are more apt to listen to a song just for a song rather than it being a showcase for some type of virtuosity, which right. I think, like in the Allen world, we get a lot of those listeners. 
because Alan is such like a, a, a unique sort of once in a generation type of vocalist. A lot of times there's less p- premium placed on the songwriting, in my opinion, and more of a premium based on just letting Alan shred. In fact, that's some of the feedback that we're getting from the label about the new record is, oh, you know, we, we need a couple more songs that are more, as as they put it, vocal forward. Right. I don't love that, you know. Right, so right. so so for me, it's important to to just like present my songs in a way that just highlights me, just being a songwriter, just being a guy. You know, we talk about like Tom Petty and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. It's like not that I'm would compare myself to Tom Petty as as a writer, but just it's like just you know, as like it, an overarching philosophy yeah. on writing. Here I am. Here are the songs. Here are my friends that I play these songs with, and like do do with it what you will. You don't have to do anything with it. But this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing. Right. And that's you know, and to bring it back to to your podcast, that's why I'm so happy for you and so excited that you're doing this because it just ties into it makes your artistry that much more compelling because it's the, the the thing that we were just talking about. Like here I am, this is who I am right now in this moment. This is the person who wrote these songs that you're enjoying. Right. And it's it's an invitation to you know, rather than you know, there can be a concern I've heard. Just be like, oh well, you know, if you're overexposed as an artist, there's no mystique. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, Dave Grohl is one of the biggest people in our industry, and that guy is just—he's an open book, man. He's everywhere. He's and he just loves life. Yeah, he just loves life, and that's—I I just think it's—you know—I've listened life to life in a fresh pot. Fresh pots. <laughs> you know, we'll have some more coffee here in a second. Oh but, yeah. Well, that's what you know. I've listened to every episode of your podcast, and I'll listen to every one you put out because Thanks, for man. me, especially as. As your friend, it's just like, yeah, like this guy is, he's in it. He's like, you are taking being a creative person like really seriously. And I feel like having a lot of fun with it. And I feel like you're really taking, finding your own voice really seriously. You're not just, you're straying from the beaten path. And I think for someone like yourself, that's essential. Because your story is so much deeper and so much more interesting than just being a singer. Right, right. You know what I mean? And because you're doing this, it just makes your songs like that much more impactful. So hopefully you you keep that in mind as you're continuing on with this podcast. If ever you're you're feeling this sense of why am I doing this? Right. You know. You know, to be honest like you like watching you do the podcast and the daily videos has really been inspiring for me to do it and like the sense of accomplishment that I felt when I put out the first podcast and just announced it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't really like, I didn't get, a, it's not like something you get a press release for. You just right. put it out. Sure. Yeah. And like, I know I'm going to go back and listen to these early ones and be like, ah, man, he was figuring it out then. But like the feeling that I got from just putting out episode one and announcing it was like this joy that I haven't felt yeah. since I released the 1979 session it's just like yeah i'm i'm like so excited to just be out there and well, talking about it because it might help someone i think i talked about in the, the first episode like me just telling my story about as a guy from massachusetts who moved to nashville and the daily uh day in day out and struggles and yeah. triumphs of being an aspiring person mm-hmm. in the music industry is like it might help someone else take that jump or like write that next song and oh i think so and 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 it can even be more 
like micro than that where just like you know s- some of the songs that you're showcasing right you know like when when you sang paranoid android oh right um it you know i listened to that and i'm just like man like i haven't listened to radiohead in a while and i kind of went back through their catalog and i was just like oh i remember this song or i listened to certain like there are a couple radiohead records like in rainbows and stuff that i hadn't listened to quite as in depth as some of the others and so it was inspiring to put that on so just little things like that are really important too. Or like when you when you talk about like some of these comedians who come through Zanies, I check out their stuff. Right. It's that exchange of inf- it's that that exchange of the, the stuff that we are interested in is really really important, you know. And and it's and it just cultivates that sense of community, you know. So it's definitely it's a powerful thing. It's definitely appreciated, you know. And, and and this is a thing that you're doing now, and you've done right. it. You know, you've posted every single week for like just I guess now this will be the sixth one. Yeah. So like this for, is the first guest. You're the first guest. Hey, I've been and you know and I've been rambling on. It's good. Nah. Um, Ramble on. See, yeah. You know, like so so for six <coughs> weeks in a row, you've done the thing that you said you were gonna do, and you've always been that guy. So I'm not like, so so like, this this, this yeah, might yeah. not apply like directly to you, but like so how many artist friends do we have? who just they they say they're going to do a thing and they have the plan and they have the strategy and they own the leather jacket you know what i mean yeah yeah but they do fu- they, they don't do shit and it's not because they suck it's not because they're stupid it's just because there's a certain place that you have to be in your life i feel where it's okay to make mistakes cuz you're exactly right you will listen back to these first 6 episodes and be like me but it's it's the critique that Gary Vaynerchuk gave. We were talking about this in the ride up to Cleveland for the show we just did. It's that critique that Gary Vaynerchuk gave to Steve Nash when Steve Nash was going to launch his vlog. He was just like, man, in this mo- in this type of medium, the critique you want is like, man, those first couple episodes Nash put up were bogus, but like episode seventeen was killer. Right. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. To be able to start the thing so that you can call it a thing so that you can you can you can then begin to chart progress. You can then begin to make progress. Right. You can't make progress if nothing is out. Dude, and it's scary. Like, I had thought about doing this for a while, but you're like, man, everyone's going to know my personality. And what if I'm like, you have so many second, so many opportunities to second guess yourself because you're like, you know, you it, it's natural to weigh what you're going to do against like the greatest person in that medium. You like listen to Bill Burr or Joe Rogan. They're yeah. professional comedians and have, have like thousand episodes and you're like man i'm not gonna be that good right off the bat and it's like no one was good that off the bat they just did it yeah well and and the thing is for for you and me the role of the podcast is like i know so between the the two episodes soon to be three your episode will come out on monday for the for the trevor larkin talks and listens show um between those three episodes and the not famous podcast which there are 33 episodes out There'll be over forty-three hours of me talking on the internet, forty-three hours. And there are some people who have binged listened the entire Not Famous show as they're driving cross country, which I don't. I, I kind of don't want to meet those people. <laughs> kind of terrifies me that they would do that. But the real powerful thing for I mean, one, I enjoy doing podcasts. I think it's really fun. But also, it's like if if someone is listening to music, whether it's the Allen Project or my own music or whatever it is, and they want to know more. I can be like, there's 43 hours right. of me talking on the internet. You don't have to like it, 
But if you're curious as to whether I would be a person to partner with or to do any kind of business with, I mean, here, here I am. Right. For better or worse, here I am. And I just like how much easier it just makes being a musician. Because you don't have to, I can't tell how many sessions I've been a part of or how many meetings I've been privy to where people finally sit down at the table and they're just like, wow, this guy's a douche. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how much money did we give this son of a bitch? Right. It happens all the time. And I know that by doing these podcasts, there will at least never be that thing. Yeah, you know? it's no one will ever be able to question your follow through. It, 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 absolutely and and the other component of it and we've spoken about this before which is why i'm again so excited you're doing your podcast now is you know someone like yourself like a dude you know the caliber of dude you are and the caliber of artist you are you need to create your own gravitational pull right like you need to bring people into your orbit because your story is really compelling and your songs are great and your voice is great just everything that you're doing and your whole approach to it i think is exciting and this, I know you're not going to have guests on every week for the podcast, but like just having a podcast, having it's so great to be able to be like, hey, I don't want you to give me anything. I'm going to offer this to you. I want I want to welcome you into my world. Right. Right. And we can we can talk, you know, and it's fun to do that. And it's in, in a weird way, kind of liberating. I don't know. It's just like you have this weekly I don't know, like one of the, some feedback I got was just like, yeah, man, like it sounds like you're kind of talking through some stuff. Like as a listener, I want you to get a little deeper Mm -hmm. and it's a hard, you know, it's just starting is, is a hard thing. And I think that is ultimately like what I'm trying to do is like talk through some shit in my head and maybe come up with some sort of understanding about it too. You know? Oh, it's essential. When it comes to songwriting, when it comes to my own personal experiences. It's it's essential to just be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I don't know. I don't know if I got it. Yeah. But I'm going to try. And I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, the total opposite. In fact, I welcome it. I'm proud of it. I mean, that was something that I, that I said during my panel at, at Music Biz, too, is I was just like, look, like I'm, every single person in this room whether you're aspiring artists, whether you're industry, you know, whether you're label people, managers, booking agents, whatever it is, like every single one of you guys has had a really, really bad day recently that you can't shake, just as a human being. And you know, no amount of fucking cologne, no amount of leather jackets, no amount of hair plugs can ameliorate that fact. You know, you've you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you've gone, I I I I don't have it. I don't know. And that's just such a wonderful and beautiful thing because it grounds us all here in this moment together. So like let's really just embrace this conference as an exchange of ideas. It's an egalitarian thing. We're all here for the same reason to better ourselves, to ask questions. No one's trying to like whose dick is bigger. Like let's just all be in the room together and just listen to each other's stories. And that's like tying it back to podcasts. That that's another great thing about like what the, your your show is doing, and hopefully my show, and like I think a lot of other people who are doing podcasts for the right reasons, is it it levels that playing field. It's like we we are all just trying to figure it out. No one is smarter than anyone else. No one is better than anyone else. We're we're all just here together, and let's support each other. 
And that's that to me is so much more captivating than here's another fucking Photoshop picture of my dumb face. Here's another auto-tune vocal. I know you don't use auto-tune, right. but like, but here's another auto-tune <clears throat> vocal. Here's another perfect representation of this person who I'm not actually at all. Yeah. I'm just so over that. You know? Yeah, man. It's just, uh, I don't know. We each have our own individual story, and it's sometimes a scary thing to share that inside information because you know it's not perfect. Yeah. Like, I see my day-to-day, just like you see your day-to-day. I'm like, you see some of these artists who are on Instagram, and you're like, man, their life is really good. and But but it's not. You know what I mean? And, like, I think... Their life sucks ass. It's not relatable. <laughs> it's just, like, I'm just a guy who's trying to figure this out. And that's one thing I really like about where the music industry is at now. It's like, everyone's kind of come back to ground zero. There's not millions and millions of dollars. I actually... My uncle sent me this video of a TED talk from this I forget his name but he's from the group called Pomplamoose. And anyway, Oh yeah, well you you forwarded I texted me this it to you. Yeah, I I've, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah man, it's and it's just like yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen this video, it's basically he's talking about OK Go and how you, everyone knows OK Go, they did the treadmill video and they're just known for making really cool videos. And this guy from Pomplamoose was talking to a record executive and he said um man, okay, go is killing it, huh? All those videos are great. He's like, yeah, but the videos didn't translate really too much, and they only sold like 250,000 albums, which works out to be like $4 million. Mm -hmm. And he's like, in what world is $4 million a failure for a small business? Like 0% of the time. Yeah. So why are we treating music like that? Why is a $4 million artist a failure in the eyes of the music industry? And it's just... It's because at some point, you know, in the 90s and late 90s when CD sales are, it was like the most profitable profitable time for music. So That's right. Yeah. It's well, just not like that anymore. And you can still make money. It's just you need to treat it as a small business as opposed to like the music industry. I agree. Quotes. And we're kind of in this awkward timing where the people who are still ultimately calling the shots are... Are, are people who, ca- who who came up in the 90s and early 2000s. It's still dudes in their 50s wearing skinny jeans and chucks with badly dyed hair. Like these are these are still kind of the people in charge. That's not going to last for very much longer though. And that's right. what and that's what I'm really excited to see over the next 5 to 10 years is as the next generation well and truly takes over a generation that has ideally fully embraced the fresh realities of our industry and the new technology and the new distribution channels and the new monetization possibilities and all that stuff. I, I, I think that there's actually like a really bright future for our industry. We just are unfortunately in this transitional phase right now. See, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I think so too. And there's, it's because of podcasting and it's because of social media that like it's possible you can be the marketing firm and you can mm-hmm. be your own PR agency and you can be your own engineer. Yeah. You, you know, there, at this music biz conference, there was an entire, there was a four hour panel dedicated exclusively to podcasting. It's, it's, there's clearly something behind it, right? There's clearly something behind people clearly want 
they want the honesty and they want transparency and they also kind of want long form content again see who is the arbiter of t who was the dingus who told us that like wait no you don't want long form content anymore the only type of content that resonates is going to be like 15 second yeah exactly and, and like oh and albums are dead by the way all you're going to get are singles now fucko like who's the person who said that right nobody you know it just sort of got assimilated into like our culture and we're starting to break out of that now which i think is great you know and yeah man podcasting it's so interesting i don't think i'm following any of the rules what? I didn't even look up the rules. Well, I said, what are the rules? I don't know the rules. <laughs> I don't know any rules. I actually did look up when I first started. I'm like, because I was trying to figure out how to actually put it on on iTunes. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple forums. It's like, you should have five episodes done before you put it out. And you should do this. And this Who is how you cares? do it. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to release them. You See, and that's it goes back to what we've been talking about throughout this entire conversation. It's just like, just starting things. Yeah. You no if if anyone if, if there's any takeaway from this, you know it's that I was awkward as a youth, and that you should just like don't sit down and think about really anything ever, just just start doing stuff right and know? like listen to yourself like you. This is kind of hippy dippy, but like we're intuitive people. Like you know when you're dealing with some shady people or you know when you're putting yourself in a bad situation yeah. like just do the things that feel good to you unapologetically and you're gonna end up in a good situation whether it's playing arenas or whether it's playing theaters or whether it's just continuing to play like you'll be fine and that's the thing is like there's there's a humility that needs to be inherent in what we do where we just have to like offer unto the universe and just let the universe kind of dictate the course for a while and if that leads to arenas if that leads to stadiums then i guess that's fine because it will have naturally or organically i guess gotten there but if it leads to something completely different then that's just where we have to go you know it can't exist in your own head or else it just gets like all muddled and confused right. it needs to be out in the world other people need to interact with it and it needs to be infused by their energy as well right you know, it's a really important thing and it's exciting that way i think too yeah but i think that's a good place to wrap it up what do you yeah. think trevor i'm i'm into it tina tina left a long time ago emma's home that's why yeah so trevor larkin i love you and uh we'll see you next time i'm, I'm blowing you a kiss right now <sighs> caught it Nailed put it, it on my heart no my <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast, uh, this bonus episode with Trevor Larkin. Um, if you like it, you can find all of his stuff at trevorlarkin.com. He has a daily newsletter. He has his podcast, Trevor Talks and Listens, which I'm going to be a guest on on Monday. Um, his po other podcast that he does with, or he did with our mutual friend Jeremy Hatcher called the Not Famous Podcast, which has 33 episodes. A bunch of cool interviews with some artists here in Nashville. Um, all the Alan Stone stuff, yeah, trevorlarkin.com. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Um, you can find all my stuff at rosslivermore.com. Don't forget to follow the Hey World playlist on Spotify. Um, subscribe, share, like it, rate it. Um, and as always, thank you guys so much for listening to it. I really appreciate all the kind words. And uh, we will see you on Tuesday. Thank you. Bye-bye.